Thank you, first of all, for joining us today. Uh, it is a big honor, even though we have uh, had you on our website before, but for the podcast, I think I included a small piece uh, of your interview with Julia previously, but for me personally, this yeah. is the first, so thank you. Uh, let's start with what role is South Africa playing in promoting greater South-South cooperation? Well, South-South cooperation key pillars of our foreign policy. Our foreign policy have five key pillars. The first is advancing uh, regional integration through the SEDEC and African Continental Free Trade Agreement and mainstreaming Africa's development agenda. Secondly, advancing South-South cooperation. Thirdly, advancing North-South interaction. Uh, fourthly, uh, working to create a better uh, multilateral architecture, uh, including the UN system, and firstly, uh, advancing uh, the social uh, dimension, uh, sustainable development, uh, and people-to-people interaction. Thank you. Uh, ben Ubad said yesterday that BRICS is championing the interests of the global south and ensuring a more inclusive multilateral environment for every country. What are the benefits of BRICS for the contemporary world political and economic systems? Well, BRICS since its inception was a coming together of the four, four countries initially and later South Africa joining. Firstly, to advance cooperation between ourselves as five countries from different parts of the region with a uh, common agenda of, of working together uh, to promote uh, our mutual interests for mutual benefit. And secondly, to also address the global governance challenges, the geopolitical, the financial and economic uh, challenges as it impacts on our respective countries, the collective, as well as the developing world at large. Now, the reason why we came together is because all of us have a common uh, purpose in mind and a common agenda, that the current global reality is not representative of the world today. It has become obsolete, outdated, and archaic. Uh, because it reflects the reality of the world as it existed at the time of the founding of the Bretton Woods Institution in 1944 and the founding of the United Nations system in 1945. The world of 1945 and the world of 2023 is vastly different. When these international rules were being formulated, they were formulated by a group of then the major uh, economies and the most powerful countries in the world. Now, at that stage, most of Africa, most of Latin America and, and Asia were still under colonial rule. We were still championing our independence and sovereignty. So we were not party to all of these uh, rules and regulations that were put in place. We became members later on of the UN system when we became sovereign independent states. So it is therefore normal for us as 
countries of the global south that were not part of the global mainstream, not of our making, but because of the uh, colonial imperialistic uh, order that was in existence then that denied us uh, the opportunity to be party to crafting an inclusive global architecture. Of course, today the global south has risen. A number of emerging market developing countries are larger than economies larger than even the developed world. Uh, China today is the second largest global economy. In 1945, China was not even uh, yet a sovereign nation. It was involved in an uh, internal conflict, the Communist Party of the common time, and China became an independent communist state in 1949. India in 1945 was not a sovereign state. It was still under British rule having got its independence in 1947. And so for most of Africa, uh, we were still all under colonial rule. Most of Latin America, South Africa included, only became a democracy recently, less than three decades ago. So a number of key countries from the global south are today part of the G20. The, all the five BRICS countries are there. Other key countries from the global south, like Indonesia and Saudi Arabia, uh, Mexico, and so forth, are key players in the G20. They are recognized as the major and most influential of the, econ- of the global economy today. But yet, if you look at the global architecture as it exists today, we are still marginalized in terms of decision-making. Your Bretton Woods institution is still dominated by the USA and Europe, the heads of these institutions in 2023 must still be uh, headed by either from Europe or the USA. And how can that be representative of uh, the global community when when you are still uh, controlling and, and being the heads of these institutions? Same with the United Nations system. We have been saying that the UN system is very important it's a body that was created to be inclusive and representative, but it's not today. The manner in which uh, we conduct ourselves, we have totally undermined the purposes and principles of the UN Charter. Uh, and therefore, the UN system has become semi-paralyzed. The Security Council, totally unrepresentative, no representation from Africa, nothing from Latin America, and you are supposed to be tasked with dealing with global peace and security. And that's why the uh, Security Council is also a semi-paralyzed institution today that cannot effectively guarantee global peace and security as mandated by the UN Charter. The world trading system is also in need of major reforms to become more inclusive uh, in terms of addressing the development needs of the global south, and that's not happening because the Doha round that was initiated as a development round today is dead because the the major powers were not interested in dealing with the issues that are of importance to the developing world. So for a number of reasons, BRICS has become the face of championing 
all of these issues, and that's why countries of the global south are identifying with BRICS and want to be associated with BRICS, and therefore you see a large number of countries are formally asked to join BRICS. Because obviously, over the past 15 years, that BRICS has been meeting in summit format, they've had a impact uh, in terms of bringing to the fore the unfair architecture that still persists today. Thank you, sir. Um, explain to our listeners what challenges are there in ensuring a multipolar global architecture? Since you said that the modern system, well, as we see it today, is not representative. Well, at the moment, we live in what some are referring to as a global system that is in between orders. We are neither any longer in a unipolar world. We have gone past the bipolar world of the Cold War era, and we're not quite into a multipolar world order, which is what we want. We are saying that we have seen in the past that when you have a global hegemon, be it one or two, that the rest of us are left at the mercy of these hegemons that want to run the the world according to their rules and regulations. Because verily the countries that were involved in the formulation of the so-called liberal order based on international rules that they refer to, they are the very ones to transgress these rules. We have seen this repeatedly, as in the case of actions in Afghanistan, in the case of uh, Iraq, in the case of Libya. We have seen unilateral actions being taken by certain powers with impunity, with impunity. And yet these very same powers are quick to point fingers at others, accusing them of transgressing the rules and regulations of international law. So I think it's very important that we work collectively to create a global order that recognizes there are various poles of power, that we must have inclusivity, we must have diversity, and we must recognize that there are other major economies and powers in the world that would like to play a role in determining the nature of this new global architecture. It should not be left to the whims and fancy of two or three countries to determine what's in the best interest. And that is why BRICS is saying we want an inclusive process. We want a process that looks at diversity, that we have a multipolar, multicultural, multi-civilizational global order that is all-encompassing and where, as per the founding principles of the UN Charter, that all of us are equal and all of us have a say in determining what this new order should be like. And it must be based on the realities of the current age we live in. Thank you, Mr. Suklal. Uh, you, mentioned, you spoke a little bit there about the Bretton Woods financial system. 
To what extent is BRICS able to offer an alternative to the West-centric Bretton Woods financial system as we see it today? Well, interestingly, UN Secretary General just last month on the margin of the G7 meeting in Hiroshima, he, he made a very interesting statement. He said that the world is in need of real reform, and both the Bretton Woods Institution and the UNSC is today outdated and dysfunctional and no longer representative of the current realities and is in need of serious reform. Now, as I've indicated, one of the issues that's come to the fore post-COVID and as a result of the Russia-Ukraine situation is looking at greater financial independence. Countries want to be given the opportunity to break free of being governed by one or two global currencies in which they conduct the transactions, in which they conduct trade, in which they make payment settlements, not just through the SWIFT system, but looking at alternative systems so that we do not become casualties of unilateral sanctions where funds are frozen and countries can't uh, access funds that are rightly there, but through unilateral sanctions, they are held hostage. So countries want greater financial autonomy and greater financial variety on the global stage. And we are seeing this already within BRICS and in large number of countries from the global south who are saying that we will start trading in our local currencies, that we recognize national currencies and will conduct our transactions in local currencies. So you're seeing a number of swap arrangements being made increasingly between countries, not just within BRICS, but with the larger global south. You're seeing countries are working towards their own payment settlement systems outside of the established uh, systems. And you see this also uh, in Africa, where the Exim Bank has created the Pan-African Payment Settlement System uh, for facilitating trade within Africa, especially now that we have signed the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, uh, within our own currency, that we are not dependent on the U.S. dollar or the euro through which we conduct our, our business, and that we have greater financial uh, independence. We're seeing this with the new development bank that is now going to extend loans in local currency so we can borrow in our local currency and pay back in our local currency and not be subject to <coughs> interest rate hikes and currency fluctuation based on being paid to the dollar. So the process has started that if you look at even the foreign reserve holdings, countries are diversifying out of the dollar. As recently as 2003, the dollar uh, accounted for some 66% of foreign holdings. Today, that has dropped to 47%. Countries are looking to diversify. Countries are increasingly relying, going back to gold as the reserve uh, currency of choice. So this process of 
greater financial independence has already started and BRICS is also at the forefront of that. And regarding the statistics of the dollar that you just mentioned, uh, what is your forecast in the future in terms of countries starting to trade in local currencies? Well, I think this is many, many uh, financial uh, gurus are already uh, writing about this, that countries in future will have a basket of currencies on which to, to decide. Uh, it won't be just pegged to, to just the dollar or the euro as the two dominant currencies. You'll have other uh, currencies joining this basket uh, that will give, uh, give us greater choice in terms of, of uh, our financial transactions. Uh, and I think this is something, a process that has already started and is going to uh, become the norm of the day. Uh, going forward. Thank you. You mentioned that a large uh, number of countries has asked to formally join BRICS, correct? So, talking about uh, the, so we can, I guess we can call it the BRICS expansion, how will the format weight on the international arena change after those countries that already applied for a membership physically join? Well, look, we are still busy with the process of expansion. Nothing has been decided. It is hoped at this summit in August in South Africa, there will be some uh, formal announcements around expansion. Uh, I mean, BRICS is already just the five of us, as you would have seen. In terms of PPP, GDP, we are larger than the G7 now. And Goldman Sachs, uh, the former economist Jim O'Neill, has indicated by 2030, BRICS will account for about 50% of the global GDP. Now, of course, this is a trend uh, that is on the upswing because the, the economies that are part of BRICS, India and China are the fastest growing economies today, while you have stagnation, including uh, <clears throat> not just in the EU, in the US, where you have very slow and sluggish growth, uh, as against the robust growth that you are seeing in, in some of the BRICS countries that's uh, increasing the global footprint of, of BRICS countries. And if you're going to add a, a few new member states from the global south, uh, that will further increase the share of not only global GDP of BRICS, but also the share of global trade uh, of BRICS at and so forth. So expansion, in, if it does happen and when it does happen, uh, will be carefully considered by the BRICS countries based on what we have achieved as a collective thus far. I think that has to be preserved and not dilute uh, the, the strength and influence of BRICS going forward. Thank you, sir. And in what ways would you say is BRICS an example of promoting greater cultural exchange and understanding? Well, as you know, BRICS is centered on, around three pillars of cooperation. The first being political and security, the second economic and financial, and the third the social and people-to-people -people interaction. So the third pillar is as important as the other two pillars. From the outset, BRICS has paid great attention 
on enhancing people-to-people interaction. And you would see, uh, if you look at all past declarations and past chairships, there's a very vibrant uh, program in terms of ensuring that there is uh, great interaction between our peoples at the level of arts and culture, at the level of sports. You have the BRICS game. You have the uh, annual BRICS uh, Film Festival uh, as examples of ensuring that... Yeah, as I was saying, the people-to-people dimension of BRICS interaction is a major focus uh, of BRICS and... This is demonstrated in the large number of activities that we have uh, promoting people-to-people interaction, starting with the BRICS uh, think tank council that we have, uh, the BRICS academic forum, and also the various people-to-people interactions that we have. Annually, we have the BRICS games that caters to all dimensions of sport. Uh, We have our sports ministers meeting. We have our culture ministers meeting. You have the annual BRICS Film Festival meeting. You have various other activities directed at our youth, directed at the populace of both our countries to ensure that we all relish in the rich multicultural diversity of the five countries. We all have very rich heritages, cultural heritages, civilizational heritages that is brought to the fore. And one of the strengths of BRICS cooperation is based on the people-to-people interaction. In fact, we we constantly emphasize BRICS is not just an intergovernmental body. It is also about our people getting to know each other, getting to understand each other, and learning from each other, uh, and better uh, uh, having a more harmonious uh, interaction to create a better world for all of us. As I've said, this is what BRICS believes in. It believes in diversity. We want a multicultural, multi-civilizational world, not just a multipolar world. Thank you, sir. And in what way would you say is BRICS responding to emerging, emerging global challenges and crises? Well, again, if you look at every BRICS summit declaration, there will be a reflection on the global hotspots where we take an active role in looking at what is happening in the region and globally and the role that BRICS can play. And BRICS countries have been playing a major role in terms of uh, assisting in areas where there are conflicts, in assisting in post-conflict reconstruction and development and ensuring that we work towards peace wherever there is uh, conflict and ensuring not just our voice is heard on these matters, but very often, practically, uh, BRICS countries have been involved in these mediation. Now, you've seen most recently the situation in Russia, Ukraine. Nearly every BRICS member country, from President Xi's 12-point peace plan to the African leaders that went now together with President Ramaphosa, the six African leaders, to try and mediate and find a resolution to the uh, conflict there. You have seen Prime Minister Modi has made overtures both to President Putin and President Zelensky, and President Lula has also taken uh, the initiative to talk peace to both parties and to some other regional leaders on how we can collectively work. Now, at the forthcoming summit in August in South Africa, 
that will also be high on the agenda. What more can BRICS do to ensure that we find a diplomatic solution through negotiations to bring about peace in the Russia-Ukraine situation because it impacts on all of us. And what, what steps would you say is South Africa currently taking to ensure that the BRICS are able to effectively address issues that are related to peace and security in the global south? Well, South Africa, since the dawn of its democracy, has had as one of its main foreign policy priorities is addressing uh, conflict, not just in the region and the continent, but globally. And we have played a role in a number of, of areas uh, where we champion uh, the call for peace uh, in the world. I mean, you, you see that within Africa, we have been very active wherever we have been called upon by the AU and other regional bodies to assist whenever there is a crisis. Uh, from the time of uh, President Mandela, where we got involved in what was then Zaire, later on the DRC, where we hosted the negotiations that led to a peace process uh, in the DRC. And we have been involved in several other uh, situations in Africa and on the global stage. Also, for South Africa, it's ingrained into our uh, foreign policy DNA that we must work collectively with our global partners, with the UN and our regional partners to address issues of uh, peace and security. I mean, for us, the African continent can only be progressive and advance if we create an enabling environment. And that is why we were also very instrumental in putting out the silencing the gun campaign to address peace and security on the continent. And we do so globally as well through the UN system uh, where we have peacekeepers involved through the UN uh, peacekeeping operations. Uh, We have been there for the past 20 plus years uh, on that front. So, Peace and security is an integral part of South Africa's agenda, and this is very much part of the agenda of the BRICS Summit. You would see also one of our key objectives during our chairship is to looking at uh, women in peace and security. As you know, women are always marginalized, but for South Africa, the African continent and the globe, it's important that we look at the role of women in peace uh, and security issues as well. And this is one of the focus areas for us this year. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> uh, what measures are are the BRICS countries taking to effectively address issues related to migration and refugees specifically, also in the global south? Well, we have raised this very sharply. We have raised this that the issue of migration must be dealt with in a fair, transparent uh, manner and that we cannot have double standards that like we see the manner in which uh, refugees uh, in in when Europe has a a crisis are treated and the way refugees are treated in the rest of the world in Africa, in Latin America, the Middle East, uh, you have double standards and the resources that are pumped into assisting (laughs) refugees in Europe as a result of the Russia-Ukraine crisis and what you see in the developing world is vastly different. You don't see Ukrainians living in makeshift camps with no water and sanitation and unhygienic conditions uh, that you very often see that refugees from the developing world are subject to. So for us, it's important that we work with the United Nations High Commission for Refugees and that we treat all refugees equally because all lives 
matter equally to us. There is no uh, uh, premium that one set of lives from one region is more important than the other. Yeah, thank you, sir. Now that you mentioned the Ukraine crisis, uh, that had uh, quite the effect on the grains on the global grain supply chains. Um, I'd, yeah. We would like to know what steps. Uh, or is BRICS taking to effectively address issues related to food security and agriculture? Well, look, this was very sharply raised by the six uh, heads of state from Africa that visited Ukraine and, and Russia. It was raised with both President Putin and President Zelensky because both these countries are major producers of grain, wheat and other Uh, food items, including fertilizer, that directly impacts our farmers and impacts on food productivity and food security. So we have raised this sharply with them, and they have promised to respond, uh, President Putin has promised to respond positively to assist African countries, and it's a matter that we will raise again during the summit, because this impacts not just on Africa, but the global south as a whole, where we are facing the challenges of food security, energy security, as well as the impact this is having on on our farmers in terms of fertilizers and also in terms of investments into our countries uh, as a result of the crisis. Yes. Thank you very much, sir. Um, that will be the end of our brief interview. Thank you so much for joining AfriVerdict. It was a huge honor to have you with us. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a wonderful day, sir. Uh, I'll send you the link and all of that as soon as we release the podcast. Thank you so much once again. Uh, bye-bye. All right. Have a great day, sir. Goodbye.